Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you this morning. One of my great uh, growing up memories was a surprise birthday party that my parents threw for me, and I just never forget walking into that room and all of my friends jumping out from their hiding places and yelling surprise and singing happy birthday and celebrating me. And if you've ever had that experience of a surprise birthday party, you, you know what that is like. But one of the things that stands out in my mind about that party is that my mother was standing beside me, and every gift that I opened, and I opened a lot of gifts because they invited a lot of friends, but every gift I opened, my mother would say, did you say thank you, Mark? What do you say, Mark? Say thank you, Mark. And, you know, it just really embarrassed me. Now, you're probably thinking, hey, you know, she's being a good parent. You know, all good parents are teaching their kids how to have good manners and say thank you. And, yeah, I get that. Here's the problem. It was my 22nd birthday. I was 22 years old. And I'm thinking to myself, I thought I got past this part of my life. You know, and it was humiliating. And I'm 57 years old. And still today, somebody will do something nice for me. If my mom's around, I can hear her say, did you say thank you, Mark? You know, being thankful is not something that comes natural for us, really, when you get right down to it. I mean, anybody that has children, your children are not born with good manners, are they? We have to teach them. We have to teach them how to say thank you. We have to teach them what good manners are all about. And saying thank you, being grateful, doesn't come naturally for us. And yes, when we become adults... Saying thank you, being polite, does become rather natural. But I think when it comes down to a lifestyle of gratitude, a, a mindset of thanksgiving, I think that's a lifetime pursuit. I think that's an ongoing discipline within our lives because it goes against the grain. And I think if we all got honest and we tracked our words in a given day, I think we would find that we have a tendency to gripe and complain more than we do to give thanks and express gratitude. And I think one of the reasons that's challenging for us, it kind of goes against uh, that fallen nature that we have in that when we say thank you or we give true gratitude, we are admitting dependence and we are making an act of submission. When I say thank you to somebody gratefully, sincerely, I am basically saying, I am in need of what you have. I am dependent upon what you're giving to me. It's almost a sign of an admission of there's something lacking in my life that you have to give me. And it's an act of submission in that I'm actually kind of giving power over to somebody else when I say thank you to them in a real sincere way because they have something that's not in my life. And so I'm yielding to them. And we don't like that in our fallen natures. We, we want to be self-reliant and self-sufficient, and we're more self-centered, so it runs against the grain. That's why I believe it is a lifetime pursuit and discipline of really developing a lifestyle of gratitude. Well, why does it even matter? Why, why do we need to be thankful people? Well, study after study after study have shown people that are grateful are just happier and healthier people than those that aren't. They are physically healthier. They have less stress, less anxiety. They're less prone to depression. They have lower blood pressure on the whole. They have better relationships, healthier relationships. People that are grateful 
have a tendency to, to be more generous. They give more. They're more willing to help other people in need. People that are, are grateful are people that see their lives having greater worth and value and, and purpose than those that aren't. Grateful people are healthier and happier people. Well, if it's not something that comes natural, there's a challenge. But then when we look in this fallen world in which we live, all the suffering, all the pain, all the hardship that just happens across this world in a given day. I mean, it's like more and more you and I are waking up every morning and there's another mass shooting somewhere. There's another bomb that has blown up somewhere in public. There's another terrorist activity taking place. And then you look at our political situation and the, the presidential campaigns that are going on and I listen to what takes place and man, it sounds more like a, a, a professional wrestling and a circus than it does intelligent people engaging to find solutions to the issues that are plaguing our society. And we have all of that, plus it's just not natural for us to be grateful, and then you add on top of that all of our personal stuff, the personal losses, the personal hurts, the personal setbacks, the personal disappointments. And man, in all of that, we wonder, how can I really be a person that is consistently grateful? For life well I believe that brings us to look at a woman by the name of Hannah in the scriptures Hannah's story is told in really a couple of chapters in the Old Testament in first Samuel of the Old Testament chapters 1 and chapter 2 we see this person Hannah and she did not have an easy life she had a very challenging life but at the same time she found a way by which to still be a person of gratitude and thanksgiving in the midst of very challenging things in her life. So let's take a quick look at kind of the challenges that she had in her life before we look at the prayer and the praise that she gives where we find out how can we really cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2, we begin to see who Hannah is. It says, Elkanah had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had None. Well, in the time of Hannah in the Jewish culture, a woman that didn't have children was considered cursed of God. They were considered there was sin in their life that God was not forgiving, and they were seen as a social outcast. So she had this social stigma she had to deal with of being a barren woman. Then we pick up in verses 6 and 7 in chapter 1. It says, And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, talking about Penina, her husband's other wife, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Not only did she have the social stigma of being barren, but her rival Penina was bullying her, bullying her emotionally, bullying her psychologically, rubbing in her face, I have children and you don't. Year after year, when they would go up to the temple and, and, and give sacrifices to God, Penina would just rub it in her face and she would weep. So she had the social stigma. She's bullied, and then verse 8, it says, Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I am your white knight. I am your God's gift to you. I should be fulfilling all of your needs. And I know there's not a husband in the room that feels that way towards their wife. Here she's needing understanding from her husband. And her husband totally misunderstands her. The one she needs the greatest support from misunderstands her. 
social stigma, bullied, misunderstood by her husband. Then she goes to the temple and prays. In verses 12 through 14, it says, As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, who was the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. She's pouring out her heart, and the priest who should be giving her the most support is judging her wrongfully. He thinks she's drunk, and she's just hurting deeply. Social stigma, bullied, misunderstood by her husband, judged by her priest. And then we see as she gets into prayer to God what she's really feeling. In verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1, it says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. She's in anguish, weeping bitterly. She's in bitterness. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Listen to the desperation in this woman. This woman has this social stigma. She's bullied by her rival. Her husband doesn't understand her. Her priest is judging her. She has this anguish. She has this misery. She just wants a son. She's so desperate. She says, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him right back to you to use, for you to use for your purposes, for him to be a priest. You know what that means? That means once that child was weaned, she would have to take that child, give it to Eli the priest, and the priest would raise the child in the temple. That child wouldn't even be in Hannah's home. But that's how desperate she is. You, I want a son. I'll give him right back. She's in this deep place of pain. Well, God does bless her, and God gives her a son. She names him Samuel. And she keeps her vow. She goes and presents Samuel, once he's weaned, to Eli to raise there in the temple. And when she does, there in the temple, we come to chapter 2, and she gets into this prayer and this place of praise. And looking at this, we can see where thanksgiving and where we can truly develop a lifestyle of gratitude. In 1 Samuel 2, beginning in verses 1 and 2, the first portion of her prayer says, Then Hannah prayed, and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The word rejoice means to joyfully give thanks. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. And from these words, the first portion of her prayer, I take this, that I can be thankful because of who God is. You see, the place, the beginning, the continuing, and the ending of a lifestyle of gratitude takes place in understanding and growing in the character of God. The more I know who He is and who I am, and the more I understand what He has provided me that I didn't deserve, I can't help but want to be a person of praise and thanksgiving. Hannah is focusing on the character of God. When I see that, I can more and more get a hold of this idea of what it means to be grateful. I mean, Hannah doesn't just say, hey, thank you for my son. That's awesome, God. I really appreciate it. No, she gets a hold of a whole new insight into the character of God, a whole new revelation as to who God is. She goes into deeper as an understanding of this is who God is and the things she says about him. She says, in the Lord, my horn has been lifted up. The horn is a symbol of strength 
in the Old Testament scriptures. It's the idea of the horn of the oxen, that the strength of the oxen came in the horn. And she's literally saying, you are my strength. God, you are a strength lifter. In my time of weakness, in my time of oppression, when I was under the pressure, God, you strengthened me and you picked me up. She said, you know what? I can boast over my enemies because you are my deliverer. God is a delivering God. God lifts us up in our time of need. And her enemies, we might say, you know, Penina was probably her main enemy because she was bullying her. But she had other enemies in her life, Hannah did. She had bitterness. She had resentment. She had anger. She had pain. She probably had jealousy. All this stuff that would try to rob her life and ruin her, yet she can stand and say, God, in the midst of all of that, you didn't let that take me down. You delivered me from all of that. She said, God, you're a rock, which means that he is stable. He is secure. He doesn't change. He doesn't falter. And she said, you are holy. Probably the greatest description of God is that he's holy. Because for God to be holy, this is what it means. It means that he is perfect, in every way. We just sang it a moment ago in the Good Good Father's chorus that we sang a moment ago. He's perfect in every way. There's not one speck of wickedness, one speck of evil. God is not perverse. God is clean in every way. Every decision he makes is right. Every action he takes is just. God never fails. And man, when I understand that's the kind of God he is, I can't help but want to give praise and thanksgiving. And who he is when my son Justin was about, oh, I don't know, six or seven years old, he was in elementary school and he would take the bus back and forth to school. And one day when school was out, he ran out of the school building and was running to the bus to catch the bus. He tripped and fell on the pavement. He knocked holes in both of his knees of his jeans, knocked his, uh, cut open his, his knees. He fell on his hands and elbows. He, he cut open his elbows and his hands were all scraped up. His books went flying he was hurting. People were laughing at him, making fun of him. He was humiliated, but he didn't cry. He held in all the humiliation. He held in all the pain. Picked up his books, got on the bus, still didn't cry. People still snickering at him. He took the bus ride of about 20 minutes from the, from the, from the uh, school to the house. Got out of the bus, walked up and walked into the house, still not crying. Then he saw his mother. And what do you think the first thing that kid did when he saw his mom? Just bursted out crying. Absolutely. Why? He knew her. She was safe. She was secure. He knew he would, she would comfort him, that she would mend him, that she would take care of him. He knew who she was. And that's what opened him up to be who he was. See, when I know God more and more and understand his character, what I deserve, yet what he provides me, who I am, yet who he is, and I don't deserve what he provides, man, I can't help but want to give thanks. Gordon MacDonald, who is a counseling psychologist, he writes a book called A Resilient Life. And in this book, he talks about, in this book, one of the things he talks about is a resilient life is one of gratitude. And here's what he says about it. He says, gratitude is coming back to the scene of the event and acknowledging what has happened and who made it happen. That's exactly what Hannah is doing. It is what the resilient person does as he sweeps his memory for recent and not so recent events where there is a need for saying thank you. We can all remember being taught as children to say thank you. It's one of the first marks of courtesy we hear about. I don't ever remember anyone telling me why it was important to say thank you other than the practical reality. If you're not thankful, people are not likely to continue their generosity towards you. 
The thankful spirit is the result of continuous discipline because gratefulness isn't a natural or instincting thing for most of us. Thankfulness is a learned transaction and it comes with the realization that I neither deserve nor am entitled to blessing. At best, I am graced. I'm a graced recipient of all I have and am. See, I can be thankful because of who God is. But then let's look at the next part of Hannah's prayer beginning in verse 3. She continues to pray. She says, do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors have broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren was, has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. From this portion of her prayer, I can take away that I can be thankful because of what God does. I can be thankful because of who he is, his character and nature. And I can be thankful for what he does because what he does is going to honor his character and his nature. And Hannah's describing two specific things that God does that she's grateful for. And that is God disciplines and God delivers. He disciplines and he delivers. He brings down and he lifts up. She acknowledges or describes, if you will, three um, reversal of fortunes in this. She said, you have the warrior who is strong and armed, yet he is brought down. He is weak and disciplined. Yet you have the one who has stumbled in weakness, who has been filled with strength, delivered. Then she says, you have those who are well fed, but now they're out seeking food. They're hungry, disciplined. And you have those who have been hungry. Now they are well fed, delivered. And she says, you have, you have the woman who has all kind of children, yet she is pining away. To pine away means to long for something missing in your life. In other words, she's had these children, but all of her children have abandoned her, and she's all alone. She's pining for what's missing. She's disciplined. And then yet, you have the woman who's been barren for most of her life. Now she has seven sons. She's been delivered. God disciplines, and God delivers. Now, we're not all excited about his discipline. That's painful. But we all know good parents discipline their children. Why? Because we know if they continue certain behaviors, certain attitudes, it's going to lead them into pain and ruin, and we love them too much to let them continue to go that way. So we'll inflict some temporary type of pain that one can get over so that they will prevent them from getting into pain that will wreck and ruin their lives. And God is the same way with us. See, God disciplines us. When Hannah's praying this, she's not saying, hey, God dis hates wealth. God despises people that are rich. God doesn't like for us to have anything. God doesn't like for us to enjoy anything. That's not what she's addressing. What she said in the opening part of this portion of her prayer was that watch your attitude. She said, don't be arrogant in your words. Don't be boastful in what you have. She, it's the idea and the attitude of pride and arrogance, of self-sufficiency and self-dependency that God wants to prevent us from getting into. See, in my place of plenty, in my place of plenty, my place of plenty should be my greatest place of humility. 
It shouldn't be a place of, look what I have done. It should be a place of, look what God has done. My place of plenty should not be my greatest place of stinginess. It should be my greatest place of generosity. I should not be looked look down on folks in my place of plenty. I should be releasing my plenty into the lives of other people to help people in need. My place of plenty should be my greatest place of humility because I acknowledge God has provided this unto me. And when I get in this place, look what I have done. I get in this place of self-sufficiency. God knows that's going to continue to lead me away from Him and into a place of pain and destruction, and He loves us too much. He'll bring us back. You know, when I was growing up, did anybody, anybody uh, 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 recognize this phrase, don't be too big for your britches? Oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of an, it's an old school kind of southern colloquialism. I know I heard that a lot growing up from my mom. You're being too big for your britches, which means you were getting arrogant and prideful in public. I was 13 years old. And my mother's going off on me about something. I don't know, lecture me. I did something wrong, but I got tired of listening. I don't want to hear it anymore. You know what I said to my mother? Shut up. Well, you know what she did? Slapped me across the face. Knocked me down the stairs. The next thing I remember, I'm 18 years old, graduating from high school. I lost five years of my life somewhere <laughs> in that place. If we'd have called, called 911 back in that day when they got there and I told them what happened, they'd have slapped me in the face as well. <laughs> she knew. No son of mine's going to have that mouth to authority. She's willing to inflict a little pain to protect me from pain that could destroy my life. For that, ladies and gentlemen, we need to give God praise. That he loves us that much. My place of plenty should be my greatest place of humility. At the same time, my place of lack should be my greatest place of hope. Because when I'm down, that's what he said. What did Hannah pray? He takes, he takes the poor and lifts them up. He takes those that are down in the ashes and seats them with princes. He puts them in places where they have thrones of honor. If I feel I'm more in the lack place here today, if I feel I'm more in the needy place here today, listen to me and listen to me good. God may have you there right now, but he will not leave you there. He will deliver you up and out. And for that, I am grateful. When I'm in the place of plenty, I'm thanking God for what he's done. When I'm in the place of light, lack, I'm thanking God for what he's going to do. And to give thanks, to, to be grateful when it's not going well, when I don't feel like it. See, choosing to thank God is a choice. Choosing to be thankful is a choice. It's not based on feeling. It's an act of faith. It doesn't mean that feeling's not ever there, but there are times I don't feel like thanking anybody. And if we waited till we felt like thanking people, we would never thank anybody. It's a step of faith. There's a pastor by the name of Gary Delashmut. If you've got nothing to be thankful for, be thankful your last name's not Delashmut. 
he's a, he's a pastor and author, and he, I came across this in some of his writings. I just loved what he said. He said, gratitude is not a feeling that dictates your choices. It is a choice that affects your feelings. It is faith to give thanks on the basis of what is true. He says in parentheses above, even if you don't feel thankful. He's talking about the truth of who God is and what God does. And it's choosing to give thanks, even when you don't feel like it, that will lead to the feeling thankful. I'm thankful because of who he is. I'm thankful because of what he does. In the final portion of Hannah's prayer, verses 8 through 10, she prays, For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. From these words of his prayer, I take away that I can be thankful because of where he's leading me. I can be thankful for who he is. I can be thankful for what he does. And I can be thankful for where he's leading me. What Hannah is describing is the sovereign plan of God. She said, look, you have formed the foundations of the world. You have set the world upon them. And you have an eternal plan that is taking place. A sovereign, redemptive, eternal plan. She says, you will guard the steps of the righteous. You are going to have a people that are going to worship you and honor you and obey you. You're, you're leading the world to that kind of a place. And you're going to judge the wicked. You're going to eradicate this earth with all wickedness and evil. Everything that, 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 is, that brings pain and suffering, God will judge. And he will eradicate that out of this earth. She's saying you have a grander, greater plan. See, you and I can be a part of a greater story, a grander purpose, a greater reality. God has a sovereign, eternal plan that He is working out in this earth. He is taking us. He's leading us to a time when there's going to be no sin or suffering or shame in this world. It's going to be nothing but righteousness, joy, and peace as He rules and reigns in this earth. And when you and I, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the suffering, which is all temporary, that's what Hannah's trying to say, all that is temporary, but everything of God is eternal. And when I begin to praise and worship God in the midst of the temporary suffering and hurt, I begin to take myself out of the temporary story of a fallen world and connect myself into the greater reality of God's redemptive eternal plan. It's an awesome thing. I'm a part of a greater story. That's what Hannah re realizes. It isn't just about her and her little place. She's a part of a greater story. Her son Samuel became one of the greatest prophets God ever had. She didn't know that going in. But man, she was a part of something bigger and better. Listen to me. Evil, wickedness, prejudice, racism, violence, terrorism, they're painful, they hurt, they're wrong, but they have an expiration date. They will come to an end. But the vindication and the justice and the righteousness and the goodness and the glory of Almighty God is forever. And in giving thanks, I connect to that greater story. How do I connect, though? How do I really get connected in there? How do I really become a part of it? 
It's the last line of Hannah's prayer. I want to go back there. The last line of her prayer. He, talking about God. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is a prophetic part of the prayer because at the time of Israel, they didn't have a king when she's praying this. In fact, they didn't even have a king plan. They didn't have a monarchy plan. It wasn't even in place. They don't even, they even thought about having a king. She's praying about something that hasn't come into place. She's saying God will give strength to her king and will lift up the horn of, her, of his anointed. That word anointed there comes from the root Hebrew word from where we get the word Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. And what this prayer is about, it's a prayer about the coming of the Messiah. This last line of this prayer. This is the first place in Scripture where the word anointed is connected to the word king. Up to that point, it's only connected to the priest. Here she's talking about an anointed king. The ultimate anointed king is Jesus Christ. See, it's Jesus Christ who shows us who God is. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who reveals who God is. It's Jesus Christ that shows us what God does. You want to know what God does? Look at Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ I have the power of deliverance in my life. It's in Jesus Christ that I know forgiveness from God. It's in Jesus Christ that I have the power of hope, that I have the power of joy, that I have the power of peace in a world that is filled with nothing but sorrow and hurt. It's in Him that I'm able to truly give thanks. It's in Him that I understand that this is temporary and I got something eternal. I talked about my surprise birthday party to open up this talk. One of the reasons that surprise birthday party was so significant is that four months prior, my brother had been killed in an automobile accident. He was 24, I was 21 at the time, and this was my 22nd birthday. And if you've lost a loved one, you know when you come to those family celebrations is where it really kind of hurts because they're not there. You, you, you miss them. And so this was my birthday, a family event coming up that I didn't want to celebrate. And what makes it even more kind of significant in our story is that my brother's birthday was just three days after my birthday. He was three years older than me, but I was born April 15th. He was born April 18th, just three years prior than me. So not only celebrating a birthday without him, his birthday was going to be three days later. So I went to my parents a couple of months before my birthday. And I said, look, there's no need to celebrate my birthday. I get it. I know it's going to be painful. His birthday's three days later. I'm okay. I'm not going to feel left out. I'm not going to feel neglected. I'm cool. Let's just skip it. And I was sincere about that. I would have been fine. And my parents said, okay, if that's how you feel. They lied to my face. Because <laughs> on my birthday, as I already said, they threw the surprise party. You know what I learned from that? My mom and dad were saying, Mark, yeah, losing your brother is painful. It hurts. We, 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 death has, has, has taken his life, and, and we ache over that. But you know what, Mark? That's temporary. That's temporary. We're not going to celebrate death. We're not going to get ruled and reigned by death. We're going to celebrate life because this is temporary 
but life is eternal. And that's what we're going to choose to celebrate. That's what we're going to choose to exalt. So we're going to celebrate your life because your, your brother's death is temporary. We're going to see him again because we have a resurrected Messiah. So we're going to celebrate life. We're going to celebrate what's eternal, not what's temporal. So when you hear the news every morning, and you see the fallout of everything, I'm not saying we don't react to it. I'm not saying that we don't do something to, to make things better. Absolutely we do. But understand, we are not ruled and reigned by that stuff. And maybe you're in here today and you're kind of disconnected from Christ. I'm going to invite you to take a look at Him. Maybe the stuff in this world's got you really reeling. I encourage you, move towards Him. Very quickly, let me, let me just walk through very quickly some ways to cultivate thanksgiving and gratitude in your, in your life. I'll, I'll go through it very, very fast. Here's just some ways I recommend to you. Number one, take note of daily blessings. Take note of daily blessings. If you're a journal person, write it down in your journal. I, 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 I kind of journal, but I do it with my phone. I, I, I write stuff in there that I observe or whatever, but take, take, take note of daily blessings in your life. Each day, just try to look, okay, where are the things where I can see blessing in my life? Secondly, say thank you for the smallest of blessings. To the people behind the counter where you go and you purchase things, say thank you to them. For the people that wait on you in a restaurant, every time they come and pour water or bring your meal or bring bread or just come by, say thank you every single time they do something to serve. Say thank you to those at work. Say thank you to your family. Man, the place we need to be saying thank you the most is to our family members. Say thank you for every small blessing because it keeps opening our awareness of the blessings around us. Third, turn complaints into thanks. For every complaint there has, there's a thanks there in there somewhere. The thing that rubs me the wrong, the thing that I have most complained about is the technical devices in our life. Well, you spend all this money, these suckers ought to work perfectly. They should never lock up. You should never have to reboot. You can, you can, hear, you can hear the pain coming out of my heart. The, the bitterness is coming out. This morning, I, 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 I needed to print something off before coming here, and I was running a little bit late, so I was trying to get it printed off, and I sent something to the, to the printer, and I get this message back, load paper. I'm thinking for the amount of money I'm spending, you need to be loading the paper by yourself. You ought to be able to load it on your own. But then I think, you know what? Thank you, God, that I have the money to buy such things. Thank you, Lord, that most of the time they work. And why can't I be grateful for that? And why do I let those other times that they don't work just really get under my skin? See, for every complaint, there's, there's a thanks somewhere there. Let's turn our complaints to thanks. Uh, another way I would share was, is um, serve others less fortunate. Find ways to serve people. Find ways to just see other people's lives because you'll begin to realize, man, man, what I'm going through isn't as bad. And then lastly, keep moving toward God. Keep moving toward God. Just, I may not understand what I'm going through. It doesn't make sense. I'm feeling the pain. I have lack. But I'm going to choose to worship you, God. I'm going to choose to give you thanks. I'm going to choose to just thank you that you're a God that I can even come to. Just keep moving toward God. There's a song that we sang, and I'm going to invite the band to come out a song that we sang earlier in our service entitled Ever Be. We talked about 
that his praise would ever be in our lips. And I want to read the lyrics, beginning with the second verse. It says, You father the orphan. Your kindness makes us whole. You shoulder our weakness, and your strength becomes our own. You're making me like you, clothing me in white, bringing beauty from ashes, for you will have your bride, free from all her guilt rid and rid of all her shame and known by her true name, and it's why I sing. What is that talking about? It's talking about who he is and who we are, where he's leading us to. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. You will be praised with angels and saints. We sing, worthy are you, Lord. And that's where he's ultimately leading us. Maybe today, for some of us, it's got to be a choice to give thanks. Maybe we feel we're in the ashes. We we feel like the poor. We're in such need, and we're having to make a choice today for some of us. I'm going to invite you in the next few moments as the team just leads us through this chorus. Focus on Him. Move towards God. Move towards God in these next few moments. See who He is, what He does, and where He's leading I invite you just to lift your hands to him. If you're not comfortable with that, that's okay. I just invite you to present yourself to him. Just saying, here I stand as a person that's in always need of you, God, and I present myself to you. I offer myself up to you as a person of thanksgiving and gratitude. We're making a choice here today, God, to worship you, a choice to honor you, a choice to give thanks, a choice to say, God, help us in every situation and circumstance to find a means and a way to praise, to give thanks, to be grateful. Father, for those in need here today, I pray for them right now. I pray that they're seeing you at work where they are. They're seeing you in a greater way, God. I pray for those that need to understand who you are more in Jesus Christ, that that's being more revealed to them, Father. And God, we thank you for where you're leading us. We thank you, God, that there's coming a day when all the wickedness and evil is going to be eradicated and you're going to have a place for those that are in Christ Jesus to live with you for all eternity in righteousness, joy, and peace. In the meantime, may we be people that bring your joy into this world to bring peace into this world, God. May we be people that are generous to go forth and to help those in need, God. May we be your light in this dark world. Today, God, we thank you for who you are, for what you do, and for where you're leading us. You deserve all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give him praise. again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.